From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. After going nearly two years without a road win in the SEC, Florida got off the deck with an emphatic 41-24 win at Texas A&M last weekend, supercharging the final stretch of the season with some much-needed momentum. Elsewhere in Gator Nation, both basketball squads fired up their campaigns with wins in the O-Dome. On today's show, the voice of the Gators, Sean Kelly, and FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry join us for a roundtable chat about the victory in College Station, the best third quarter of the season, defensive adjustments that came just in the nick of time, expectations for the final home game against South Carolina, a rollicking start for year one of the Todd Golden era, a smooth debut for women's hoops, and the best chain restaurants in the PAT. Then, we'll take a peek behind the curtain of the football program through the eyes of one of its unsung heroes, walk-on and scout team quarterback Kyle Engel. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable, presented by Pet Paradise. Pet Paradise is your complete pet health care destination, with resort-style day camp, overnight boarding, professional grooming, and compassionate veterinary care from New Day, all located under one roof to serve pet fanatics like you. Book today at PetParadise.com, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. We've returned to our uh, our full roundtable with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry, and the voice of the Gators, Sean Kelly, is here as well. Uh, guys, let's start by talking football and what happened at Texas A&M. I think there's a lot of different ways you can look at this, but as an entry point to it, just to kind of set the scene there's no doubt both teams are really desperate to win games at this point. Maybe Texas A&M even more so than Florida, given their situation. And yet Florida goes there. They beat them pretty handily. And, you know, winning on the road in the SEC is nothing to sneeze at, regardless of the opponent, especially when it's a place like College Station where Florida hasn't had many wins. And Florida found a way to do it. And in the process, you know, I would say drastically increased their chances of making it to a bowl. So, with that as the scene setter, I'm curious for for your takeaways. Well, in the end, it, it appears to be a dominant win, but it took a second half that was better than any half that Florida had played all year to get us to that to that margin of victory. Billy Napier himself said it. He goes, I don't know if we could have played any worse on defense in the first half in College Station this past Saturday. And I think that all who who wrote about it, broadcasted it, or even just witnessed it would agree with that statement. But the turnaround at halftime was remarkable. The the most healthy thing, perhaps, is not just the shutout of AM's offense, but holding them to one of eight on third down, which certainly was a bugaboo for Florida's defense throughout. And then the ability to to put together all three three phases to start the half, I think told us a lot too. Defensive stop, massive punt return, scoring drive, punch it in and roll from there. Anthony Richardson might have had his best day as a gator. And in the absence of several players, others really stepped up and took advantage of an opportunity. Uh, whether Chris or Scott or Adam, you agree with me or not, I I saw that as a pivot point in this season. One of two. The first one they did not pass. This one they do. 
And I think they've put themselves in a position to do what we had hoped, which was to perhaps run it in November and give themselves a chance at an eight and four record, which would be remarkable with this roster in a first year program. Yeah, that was a game that you knew one of those coaches, either Jimbo Fisher, or Billy Napier, they were going to feel a little heat afterwards. They both entered with losing streaks. And the, the Gators, I mean, I agree with Sean. They played probably their best game. I thought without question they played their best 15 minutes of football under Billy Napier in that third quarter. And not only did they play well on defensively, we saw something that we haven't seen a lot of beside Anthony Richards. We saw guys actually make plays. Jaquavian uh, Frazier's had a really good catch. Haley Douglas uh, went over a Texas A&M defender to grab the ball. So you're, you're seeing him starting to get some help there. And uh, and when that happens with the running games they have between ETN and Montreal Johnson, uh, you know, if you have some receivers, these young guys, we've talked about them a lot on this show. Are those guys going to evolve and start, you know, showing some signs to help Anthony out? And I think we're seeing that. And, of course, it helps when he's, what, going three straight games without a turnover. That was the emphasis after the game for uh, Billy Napier. And, you know, speaking of turning points, Napier addressed Anthony's performance after the game, saying he thinks he could look back on that game as maybe a, a pivotal point in his career. I don't know, you know, if it's made too early. I don't know where that's going. But I do know that Anthony is showing some signs of improvement. And, uh, yeah, so now you look at these last three games. And like Sean said, I mean, it's been a seesaw ride here. But if they can – if they can uh, piggyback off what they did at Texas A&M, especially on defense, and somehow end up 8-4, and four, uh, I think that's a, a tremendous job of Billy Napier and his staff. And uh, still some work to do, but a good a good win at Texas A&M for sure. I think we'd be a little remiss if we didn't mention that Texas A&M is a dysfunctional mess. Um, now, having having said that, okay, the – they have the lead at halftime and they've gone up and down the field. They got over 300 yards on this defense, which looked like it was looked like LSU game all over again to me. Uh, and then whatever adjustments and whatever fire and brimstone was delivered at halftime worked. And, you know, I, I made the point to somebody else. I, I, I'm sure Jimbo Fisher wishes he had Billy Napier's problems. He's in Jimbo's in his fifth year and he's got, four straight years of top 10 recruiting class, including number one recruiting class in the country this past year. Billy Napier's just getting started, just getting his feel and just building the culture of his team. And basically the Gators manhandled him in the second half to Scott's point. Didn't, didn't turn the ball over at all. Um, that's to Anthony Richardson's credit. Um, you know, we've spent a lot of time here saying Anthony Richardson has to play better. Anthony Richardson has to play Well, yes, Sean's right. He played as well as he probably could have played in that game on the road. And granted, uh, while Texas A&M is having its struggles, um, uh, both you guys can 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 sign off on the fact that was a tough environment, right? Hundred thousand in there, or ninety-seven thousand in there, and and uh, you know they they're 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 looking for their program to get back on the right track. And um, who would have thought that Florida's uh, that Florida's defense could play get well card? on the road in an SEC game the way they played the last few weeks. And let's let's also mention this is after the Brenton Cox whole situation and and those guys that took uh, his place, they did what they were supposed to do. They were in the right position. Um, and, you know, instead of a guy going rogue, they, they asked these guys to do their job and they performed. And – that's trickle-down stuff, guys, and, uh, uh, you know, you're rewarded for that 
in 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 that second half where what a And M had what 120 yards of offense in the second half after 307 in the first. So um, I think it was a tremendous uh, way to springboard into November. And uh, I think I, I know that Florida State game is going to loom, but there's a good chance Florida is going to be favored in their last few games. Now they've lost some games as favorites, of course, but um, I think you just look at this team a little bit differently after the game. Of course, that could change, but there's plenty to be encouraged uh, about after uh, going to College Station. Adam, if you don't mind, can I can I stack a couple of stats on my uh, colleagues' points here? Please, pile them on. Turnover margin. Take a stab at where Florida is now, ranked in the SEC in turnover margin. Number one. Number wow. one in the conference, 12th in the nation at plus six. This is also a team that earlier in the year was woeful in the third quarter. They've still been outscored this season in the third. Now it's 59-55. But if you look at these last three games, Georgia certainly, yes. LSU in the comeback effort, yes. And then in a comeback effort again, albeit only down by four. The third quarter in the last three games has turned around in the favor of Florida. So if we're looking at at trends or numbers, that would show us progress collectively as a team. Those are just a couple to back it up. The turnover margin obviously backs up Scott's point. It's three straight games. It's 39 possessions in a row now for Florida without coughing the football up. And it's a huge change from earlier this year. And as we talked about, all you guys mentioned Anthony Richardson and and maybe having his best game uh, even early on when he played so well against Utah, there were still turnover issues. So in terms of his improvement, is he still missing some throws? Yes. Are there things he can do better? Obviously. But one of the most important things, and, and we've seen it the last few years, guys, Florida has had a lot of issues with turnovers that are really hurting their ability to win. So to see that kind of improvement in that department, I do think that's significant if you're looking big picture and, and reducing those kind of backbreaking mistakes. And by the way, how do we how do we make Anthony Richardson feel like he's always on the road? His numbers <laughs> in true road starts are off the charts. They really are. And you have to be hopeful that, you know, two of your last three are on the road too. But, you know, the body of work now for him on the road is far and away better than he's been in his starts at home. So let, let me interrupt there. You said his starts. Go back and why don't you roll in just his road numbers. Take out the neutral side game at Georgia. Look at his road numbers in relief at LSU last year. And and the, and the numbers really get impressive. That's right. Yes. Good point. So I don't know if we should have him stay in, in you know, Jacksonville or Orlando <laughs> on Friday nights and then bus him in for this Saturday just to make that feel like a road game. But whatever it is, that, that seems to be comfortable, which seems, what, counterintuitive especially when you see some of the places he's played and the size of the crowds those have been against him. So perhaps that's something <laughs> to track here for the rest of the season. Then, of course, the gazillion dollar question, whether or not he will return to Florida for another year. We're, we've talked about him a lot, guys, but tomorrow on Saturday will be his 11th career start. So wow. he still hasn't even hit a full season yet. Uh, and, you know, I was looking at a chart they had in the notes this week and you know, remember how the first two games, no touchdowns, four interceptions, then going to Tennessee, Sean's point of going on the road. It really has turned him around, nine touchdowns and three interceptions since then. So uh, he's making that progress, I think, that everyone uh, hoped to see. I think if he can just do it consistently, 
it all leads to what Sean said, the billion dollar question. It's, get, it's getting a little more interesting now for me in that regard than it was three or four weeks ago. Let's talk about South Carolina. This is the last home game of the year. It's crazy the way the schedule worked out. A lot of home games on the top end and then very few at the backside. Um, but this is a South Carolina team that's having, I would say, a better year than than most probably expected from them. They've won five of their last six. They really they got blown out by Georgia, but a lot of teams have suffered that fate. Um, but they've also been you know, somewhat inconsistent when it comes to they lost at home to Missouri, which was a really odd result, beaten pretty soundly. What are we expecting to see from South Carolina? What are some of the keys to this matchup? Well, let's just talk right away about that game you just referenced, the, the uh, South Carolina. They, that, that game happened as soon as they get ranked. So mm-hmm. how did they how did they handle their prosperity? Not very well. I mean that game was at home. I mean it, it was it, it was I think they were losing like seventeen nothing or something in that game if I'm not mistaken. Um, all right. At the same time, flip it around. How's Florida going to handle uh, its prosperity coming off uh, what what would have to be you know they're obviously a, a, a satisfying road road victory. No, they're not. No, they're not ranked, but. You know, this is about this is about progress, and you know, I got I'm over with this basketball coach every day. He talks about this is about us. This is all on us. I know Billy Napier is saying the same thing to his guy. This is about us. It has nothing to do with South Carolina. Here comes South Carolina. They're just the Warren Sapp. You say gray matter in front of us. So uh, you know, just 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 go after the gray matter. So here comes South Carolina, which is a team that beat the hell out of the Gators last year. That certainly a uh, uh, put uh, Dan Mullen on his trajectory to getting fired um, last year, uh, you know, right, right before Thanksgiving or what have you. Um, but so there's some players on the team who certainly remember that. I mean, that game, that, that was one of the most lopsided games that I've ever seen uh, since, I, since I've been covering this team as far as uh, playing a team like South Carolina. You know, they just – South Carolina had never flattened a Florida team like that before. So there's something to remember on that front. But Shane Beamer is obviously a good coach. He obviously has them feeling pretty optimistic about what's going on up there. So let's see where the jockeying is because Florida can obviously uh, start working its way up the standings a little bit and kind of make a statement to to itself by winning at home. And the game and the game sold out, so the fan base is still excited about it. So that's a credit that's a credit to the Gator fans. We talked about perspective earlier. Just real quick, the the Adam mentioned they've won five of six. Here's here here are the six games, gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. Charlotte. South Carolina State, a quality win at Kentucky, an A&M team that's circling the drain, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. So, again, a little bit of perspective, but at the same Remember time. Remember that, that A&M game at the time seemed big, didn't it? It did. South Carolina beat it them. did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but look, all signs point to Marshawn Lloyd, perhaps coming back this week. He missed their last game with a deep thigh bruise. Very good running back out of uh, Delaware. Uh, and Spencer Rattler, as as much as we wondered how he'd do in the transfer, he's been pretty inconsistent, flat a lot of times here since his transfer from Oklahoma. I know Jaden Hill's in this group. It's a small group, though, that ought to remember what Rattler had to say about Florida in a certain bowl game not too long ago. Uh, scout team might have been the phrasing that was used there in referencing the Gators. I hope that memory still serves some on this roster and they're able to remind others about a statement like that. They do have some nice pieces, though. Jaheim Bell, their tight end, can also play running back. He did so with Lloyd out last week. A couple of decent receivers. This isn't this isn't the South Carolina of old. I think Beamer's got him pointing in the right direction. Um, but again, there's a reason why the Gators, according to our friends out in the desert, 
our favor by just a little over a touchdown. So take care of business and don't allow the Gamecocks to do what only Steve Spurrier could do at South Carolina, which is not only win at the Swamp twice, um, but beat them in back-to-back years here after that embarrassment of last season. And again, if Florida beats South Carolina, they do become bowl eligible, which is a big carrot. And if you're thinking, oh, I don't care about the the toilet bowl, would I, you know, start throwing names out there. Uh, a lot of it is about those extra practices, especially when you have a young team, you're in transition. That is no doubt more significant maybe even than the game. So keeping that in mind as Florida looks to get to that benchmark. Uh, I want to turn our attention now to basketball. We finally got the much-talked-about Todd Golden era underway just a few days ago uh, in the O-Dome. Um, Sean, I'm, I'm curious, your thoughts after calling your, your first Florida basketball game? Yeah, I thought, I mean, really, it was a great night altogether. Both the women's team and the men's team won their openers in a doubleheader, which was kind of cool to see to start the season. Um, and while I, I don't and I'm not qualified enough to give you a quality look back at the women's game, other than they fell behind early with some jitters, but then dropped the hammer and and took care of Florida A&M. The men's team I found to be very entertaining. Um, and Chris and I have been watching this, Chris more so than me, uh, in this run-up to the start of the season. But, man, how good does Florida look with a point guard by the name of Lofton? I, I thought that he got them into their sets very well. Uh, you know, this isn't a run and gun up and down the floor, but they they moved with purpose. Uh, there was no walking the basketball up. Castleton looked like Castleton, maybe trying to do a few things to show us some new wares this season. But the length and athleticism of this basketball team uh, was on display in the opener against an un, uh, undermanned Stony Brook team. And, um, hey, look, it's awfully fun at the end of the night to see 13 different players score, including – the two walk-ons. So I was Love so it. happy for them as well. Jack May and, and Alex. So both got run and buckets uh, in the ball game. So all in all, good debut. I'm sure um, there's a lot to clean up before Friday. Uh, not, not a, not a bad Kennesaw state team coming in here on Friday night. Um, Gators should take care of business, but uh, as far as lifting the lid and having a look, I kind of like what I saw and, and I enjoy the environment and uh, you know, it's it's underway, and, and I'm eager to see where this team goes from here. Yeah, uh, both the women and the men um, have very deep teams uh, that can play a lot of different varying combinations and what have you. And um, like like Sean said, we got to see every Florida, all 15 Florida players, those, uh, those walk-ons and a couple other guys got in in the last two or three minutes of the game. Um, but uh, – uh, the, the 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 starting unit uh, with with Will Richard in the game, I was anticipating that uh, he finally is, is healthy. He plays such a effortless um, kind of brand of basketball. He can do a little bit of everything. Um, uh, Alex Fudge came off the bench and had 16 points. Uh, uh, just just a long set, set seven six ten, but seven six wingspan. There's a lot of options with this team. And one of the uh, post-game, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, uh, talking points, or at least questions being lobbed at Todd Golden. And remember, this is a Stony Brook team. Also, I, I need to point out that we're missing three players due to injury. So, uh, and, and uh, you win by thirty-five. You know, maybe you're supposed to win by thirty-five. So that so they at least did that. You know, they they did take care of business, as Sean said. Uh, but afterwards, excuse me, uh, Todd Golden was asked, you know, how how are you going to deal with these numbers? because you got a lot of guys that look like they can play. And he just kept talking about, this is about the team. 
to, all I care about is the team and winning. And he made this point, and, he, and I have never heard a coach say this. He goes, if I got a guy and I'm in the huddle and I'm talking about the team and I get a guy who rolls his eyes and maybe because he doesn't really like the minutes that he's gotten in a game, he goes, great. He goes, he's made a decision for me. Now I don't have 11, I have 10. So that it, these guys know where they stand on this front. And there may be a night, like I look at my th- – Riley Kugel is a really, really good player as a freshman. Um, he only played 14 minutes the other day. There's going to be games where Riley Kugel is going to play 25 minutes, which may impact how many minutes C.J. Feld or, or say, uh, Will Richard play. It's just it's just going to happen. Same thing if Kyle Lofton gets in foul trouble, although he hasn't in really four years of playing at St. Bonham. Trey Bonham's going to play more than the 15 minutes he played the other day too. So – I, I'm just fascinated how this rotation thing is 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 going to pan out a little bit. Kennesaw State is a team that they they beat a D two team in their opener by like forty whatever. I mean they're they're, they're going to come in here. Florida should take care of business of that. I'm looking ahead, spinning a little forward Monday. Florida Atlantic is a team that's pretty decent. They returned five starters from a team that I think went twenty one and fifteen last year. Played in the CBI. Uh, they got some experience. Dusty May is a former coach here at Florida. Uh, Jack May's father. Um, so there'll be some storylines to that, but that'll be a nice little gauge. I think they'll probably be about 120 or so RPI, 150 when they get in here. It will be a bigger game for Florida Atlantic, but at the same time, a nice little early measuring stick. And of course, the game after that is the road trip to Florida State, which will be uh, an even more significant one. Chris, no one is further entrenched with this program than you are. Um, I know quality of the competition makes it difficult to give a, a, a really solid gauge, but relative to what you expected to see, was there anything that surprised you in terms of the first official game under Todd Golden, or did it look like the scrimmages and, and what you thought was going to come down the line? Well, something I was looking for just at, in that game, and Sean and I have been at practice and talked about this, is they just got to shoot the ball better from the three-point line than they have recently. And Todd Golden has, has stated that as a goal. They go three for 15 in the first half. I go, okay, 20%. Is is, is, is this what it's going to be? They go seven for 10 in the second half. So we don't know what it's going to be. But we do know they shot 40% in the first game. And that's a that's a good start, okay, for a team that shot 30.3%, which was the worst in school history last season. So um, I'm not making any declarations about whether this is a team that can shoot the ball. I know My- Myron Jones is one of the better sheets. He, he was second in the shooting competitions the offseason. He took two threes and missed them both. I mean, we're going to see we're going to see more as 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 they start playing out. Not that Florida wants to be this mad bombing three point team. That's not what Todd Golden wants to do. He wants to play efficient basketball, defense, rebounding, transition, that kind of thing. But uh, I, I like the fact that they weren't shooting the ball well in the first half at all, and they shot it lights out in the second half from from the arc. So that's that's something I was looking at. You know, I, I had a fun PAT planned about a about Powerball and what we would do with uh, with two billion dollars. But I'm inspired by something else. Uh, I'm not going to say the establishment, but I actually got food poisoning this week from a a chain restaurant that I frequent. Um, and when I I told the guys hear this, they said, "What are you doing going to chain restaurants anyway?" I happen to be a chain restaurant enthusiast. There's a lot of reasons why that I'd rather not get into. <laughs> but it, needless to say. I love my chains, right? So I want to know from these guys here, and I, I think we, we may have some snobs. It's I've run into many of them before. Uh, what are your 
favorite chain restaurants, and if it's not a plural, give me the one chain you would go to if you were forced to go to a chain. I'd like to begin by saying that my answer is sponsored by the Small Business Administration. <laughs> Supporting those local owners out there across the country. If there was a chain or couple that I might frequent when I see them, um, as gross as this may sound, White Castle might be near the top of the list. Wow. Oh, my it's God. Up there. That, that's very that's very West Coast though. You're you're not a West Coast. It's a guy. very Midwest, very Is Midwest it? thing. Yes, I thought it was a West Coast thing. Okay. Yeah, White Castle steak and shake, Midwest flavor. Don't don't sleep on Chili Five Way from Steak and Shake. <laughs> uh, Culver's is something new in my life. Not not hating on Culver's because because there's frozen custard at the end if you just order correctly. That you know. Other than that, I don't necessarily have a favorite fast food stop my doctor has encouraged me not to do that as often as perhaps i did in my past yeah so we're if we're talking like fast food chains and we're not talking about roos chris or, or anything, i mean either. technically no. roos chris is a chain you could say but it's Roos not, chris. you you <laughs> said fast food i did not say fast food you did scott said yeah fast i think he did food. I just said chain well, restaurant. Well, I, All think I, said you, chain I think restaurant. what most people think of chains, they think of fast food. Right? Oh, I do. I think about like, you know, chilies and Fridays. Olive Garden. And Olive Garden. Yeah, Olive Garden. Olive. yeah that's what I'm talking about. You when, got, when you're I, here, your family? Is that what you're trying to tell me, Chris? <laughs> Chris is big, big Olive Garden if, guy. If we're going chains, yes, Ruth's Chris. Put that at the top. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Flemings. Why... Flemings. You know. Yeah. Yeah, Metropolitan Grill. You got to put the good capital grill yeah. mm -hmm. up top there. But I think, in the spirit of the conversation, I'm going to keep it more to like the the fast food casual. And I mean, I'm a Southern boy, guys. And to me, if if you know, if someone said, "All right, Scott, you get one choice for your last meal. It has to be from a fast food chain in America. You can order whatever you want. Where are you going?" I'm going to Popeye's chicken every time, man. Wow. I love Popeye's chicken. I mean, you can't beat the the Cajun rice and the four-piece spicy and the sweet tea. So that's the bit. Of course, I'm also with Sean. My doctor in my waistline has told me that I need to cut back. So I've been drinking a lot more water than sweet tea for the last couple of weeks. So I think it was two years ago, the Gators had a basketball player named Isaiah Stokes. Mm -hmm. and or maybe it was three years ago uh but he had a huge weight problem and he was told he had to be on this restricted diet that was around the time that popeyes started their chicken sandwich like a, they <laughs> did this and it, they rolled it out it was a big deal it was a huge yeah huge hit and, they, and and the gainesville sun wrote this story about this the how popular because people were lining up and waiting in line to get this new chicken sandwich and one of the people quoted in it was Isaiah Stokes. He ate two of them loaded. That's and 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 he wasn't supposed to be eating this stuff. And like he just went ahead and let the reporter interview him for the. For, uh, yeah. Well, see, that's a good story for the book. There. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like uh, Darius Nichols is looking at the Darius Nichols was existing. He goes, he goes, you can't make this up. You just can't make this up. He's, he, he's quoted in there eating two Popeye chicken sandwich. Um, I mean, this is easy. This it's it's Chick Fil A and 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 Chick Fil A's A, B, and C on my list in terms of a fast food. I'm not crazy about the pickle, 
I always got to take the pickle off or tell them no pickle. No pickle. But um, but uh, but uh, you know, whether it's grilled, whether it's fried, I prefer the fried one. The great chicken nuggets and all that stuff. But uh, that's the be all. And when they have that, when they have the boxed uh, Chick Fil A's in the uh, you know, for these bat for these football games and basketball games, that's a uh, that's a good deal for the that's a good day for the Gators. Hmm. Any uh any PF Chang's or Cheesecake Factory fans in this group? Anybody? All the all those places are good. I thought we were talking about fast food. No, I never all said those fast places are food. Good. I never said you fast food. Roll I the said tape. Chain roll, restaurant. Roll those the are tape. Good back. places, man. Yeah. I will roll it back a hundred percent. I never said fast food. Never. Here's my here's my question about Cheesecake Factory. Food. What would take longer, listening to this podcast or reading the Cheesecake Factory menu? <laughs> <laughs> That's Depends how actually, much yeah. longer this podcast yeah. goes. Ah, <laughs> uh, BJ's here in town is pretty good. BJ's they is got, fantastic. They got a menu that looks like a Bible. Yeah, very yeah, similar. They got a lot of they got a lot of options in there. So okay. that's a that's a chain too. But I mean, I, have, I don't think I've ever been to a BJ's anywhere not in Gainesville. So. See, look at this. We ended up on the same page. You guys just misunderstood me. I feel very misunderstood in general. This podcast t- today reflects that as well. Uh, okay, so you you guys don't think I'm a monster after all. This is good, or at least not for that reason. Not for that reason. Um, but I hope everyone's hungry now and goes to whatever their favorite establishment is, whether it's local or it's a chain. Uh, have it have it your way to uh, to steal a line from one fast food restaurant. Um, but it's a big weekend in Gainesville. We talked about it a lot. There's basketball. There's obviously this big game against South Carolina. These guys will be all over it. Make sure to follow them online. Follow their content on FloridaGators.com and on the radio. Uh, and we'll be back to talk about it next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Adam. Go Gators. When you consider all the work that goes into playing major college football, most athletes do it for the glory that comes on the gridiron every Saturday in the fall. But what about the guys that put in the work all week long in practice but never get to see the field? That group is largely made up of walk-ons, and while they're often overlooked, Billy Napier is focused on building up their ranks as part of his vision for the program. One of those critical cogs is Kyle Engel, who primarily serves as a scout team quarterback and is celebrating Senior Day this weekend. We wanted to learn more about his journey as a way to better understand the walk-on experience, and like so many of them, it stems from a deep love of the University of Florida. Let's go way back. My grandfather went here in the 50s. He graduated with uh, architecture, and then my mom... And dad both went here. My dad was an architect student as well. And my mom came from California. She came to play volleyball here. Um, she played for Mary Wise and played with Trent Whittemore's mom mm-hmm. um, when they were here. So I grew up a Gator fan uh, my whole life, both my parents have, having gone here. Uh, so I think it's always been a goal of mine to come here and play college football. Mm-hmm. So uh, what I took from that is architecture. That that's a That's a theme, right? Yeah, um, so my dad and my grandfather did architecture, <laughs> and um, I did construction. I'm doing construction management, so okay. very similar, but not the exact same thing. A little different. Architecture, okay. architecture is incredibly hard. Both sound hard. Architecture, I imagine, has a little more, a little more math, a little more science. Way more involved. engineering. Yes. Yeah. Way engineering. more engineering. Yeah, yeah. Um, so okay, so I, I've got a little bit of the the academic side. I can see where that's going. Can you tell us about the athletic side of your family as well? Uh, whether I know, I know you have a sibling that's uh, that's very. I do. So, um, so like I said, my mom played here, played at Florida, 
Um, I, my sister is two years younger than me. She goes to University of Maryland. She's a setter um, on the volleyball team there. And yeah, she's my only sibling. So this didn't come up at all, but you also, I know in the past played lacrosse. I so... did play lacrosse. So in high school, I grew up, um, I grew up playing all sports, all across everything you can name it, soccer, baseball, everything. Um, and I think about fifth or sixth grade, I kind of stuck to lacrosse and football, um, grew up playing lacrosse and football all through high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think ultimately when it came down to it, I got an opportunity to come here and play football. And I think that that was definitely where I wanted to go. So, yes, yeah, so I was going to ask you, what was it that, that pushed you in that direction? I mean, were there, were there other opportunities for you to maybe play elsewhere at smaller schools? Was that even, was that even a thought for you? Or was it always like, I'm going to Florida, you know, no matter what capacity I'm, I'm going to be a Gator. Uh, I think there was a little bit of that. Um, I had opportunities to go to some smaller schools, um, some of them being like Ivy League schools, Ivy League type schools. Um, and I think when it came down to it, I had an opportunity to go up there and play football or come here and walk on. And then I think when we looked at it, because Ivy League only does like um, need-based financial aid, I guess. Yeah. It was going to be like a ridiculous amount of money to go play up there. came down to it, I could come here. Um, I had bright futures. I had all these things, right. Um, come here and do something I've always wanted to do. So, I mean, looking back on it, I would, if I had a chance to do it again, I would do it the same, same exact way. So you came from St. Thomas Aquinas, which is, you know, known for producing a ton of players. What was it like competing in that environment? I imagine in some ways it's like a, it's almost like a feeder for, uh, for college football, right? I mean, there's so many players that come out of there. Absolutely. I think, um, when you look at St. Thomas, I think there's, an incredible amount of great athletes and great coaches um, down there. And I think it prepared me for when I came up to Gainesville because I had been around quote star players um, since the time I was in ninth grade. I mean, even growing up down there in South Florida, everybody, everywhere you go, there's just elite athletes. Um, So, I mean, going to St. Thomas, it is run like a, like a college program down there. Um, Everything from practice to schedule, and all that um, definitely prepared me coming up here. Coach Harry and Coach Smith did did a great job. It's nothing but the best down there. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you some, I, I guess they're dumb questions in a way, because I don't know much about the walk-on experience, but I know that's, right. that's something that we're hoping to share with people. Um, what goes into being a walk-on? I mean, how is it different from, how are you different from anybody else? Um, I would say to the outside world, there's not much difference what people see mm-hmm. i i would say internally i would definitely say there's, there's nothing given to you mm-hmm. um there's there's a lot of ex- expectation but not much is given to you if that makes sense like yeah. a lot of guys can come here and play for however many years and never never get to dress or never get to um travel to an away game or never get to play in a game if that makes sense um mm-hmm. and I think coming into it, you have to understand that you have to realize what you're getting yourself into. And I think it takes a certain type of person to come out every day, be on time, go to me, go to meetings, go to walk through, go to workouts in the summer, go to workouts in the spring when you're not getting much return on it, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, but I think Saturdays in the fall just make it all worth it. Yeah, so I guess that that's my question. What what is the return for you then? If if you don't have the opportunities to play on Saturdays, what is it that drives you 
and and the guys that are in your in your spot as well to put in all of that work? I would say without a doubt for me, the top two things that keep me going are the people I meet and the friends I've made just from being here in the program. I think and it, and it goes farther than you might think. Like it's not just kids on the football team. It's kids in other sports. Like my freshman year, I roomed with tennis players. Mm-hmm. I'm good friends with golfers. Just just networking and meeting all these different people is definitely one. And then I'd say the other one is just love for football and love for the university that I built growing up. Just a huge Gator fan watching every Saturday. Just I think that's where it comes from. And I, and I would venture to say that most walk-ons feel the same. Mm-hmm. So you've uh, you've had the chance to be in the quarterback room with uh, some really talented guys: Kyle Trask, uh-huh. Felipe Franks, Emery Jones, now Anthony Richardson. That's a list of guys who uh, are either in the NFL, uh, some to be probably in the near future. What has right. it been like being around so many guys who obviously have uh, incredible talent and are also all very different? I'm sure you can learn a lot of things from different types of players. Absolutely, I think um, obviously. It's been awesome getting to know these guys and calling, being able to call them good friends. I would say Kyle's one of my really good friends um, since spending time with him. But I just, I just like when it comes down to it, to me, it seems like the people who are most successful in the NFL are also the best people off the field. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. I can call Kyle, I can call Emery, um, Felipe, and they would, they would do anything if that makes sense for me. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot to say about that. Um, I'd say even other positions. If you look at Damian Pierce, if you look at any Zach Carter, any of these guys who have left here and had success at the next level are the best guys off the field, the nicest guys to hang out with, the best guys to hang out with in a locker room. I don't think that's coincidence, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah. I, I've talked to walk-ons in the past and other sports as well who've said that coaching changes are really hard because in some ways you almost have to – prove yourself all over again to a new staff. Now, having right. said that, I, I know that, that Coach Napier has a very enthusiastic reception for walk-ons in general and wants them to be in the program. So right. I guess, can, can you talk about the transition from one coaching staff to the next and how that affected the walk-ons in particular? I would say that I was in a pretty good spot with um, the old staff and Mullen and where we were at, where I was at with the offense mentally. Um, I felt good about where I was and they felt good about where I was. Um, so when the coaching change happens, obviously your first thought is like, I have to learn a whole new offense. I have to meet a whole new group of people. I have to win. a I have to win a whole new group of people over. If that mm-hmm. makes sense, you have to. And I, I think I fall back onto what we talked about earlier about your want, your drive to like do this without knowing what the return will be type of yeah. thing. And I think that's kind of what I did throughout the co- through the coaching change, which helped me. Um, I think I'm right back to where I was, having the coaching staff be confident in where I'm at and myself being confident with where I'm at with the offense and relationships I've built. And he, they put me on scholarship for the summer like they did with um, Keeter, Noah Keeter. Um, 
at first, I think coaching, no one, no one loves change. So I think mm-hmm. at first I was kind of hesitant with it, but looking back on it, I think it was always for the better. You mentioned being put on scholarship, which I guess is the, that's the, the walk on dream, right? That's the validation of your work. Right. What did right. that mean? How did you find out? And, and was that as big of a deal as, as I would imagine that it, it, it is? I mean, obviously it was very cool. Um, I think I remember Napier called me into his office and he asked me, he was like, what are, what are your plans for the summer? And I was like, I'm going, I'm going home to work, work an internship for construction because in the summer there's construction doesn't offer classes hmm. because they want you to get an internship. Cause it, it, that's the biggest thing in construction is just getting internships and getting work experience. And I was like, I'm, I'm going back to Fort Lauderdale. I'm going to go work, uh, internship i had a big had an internship lined up and he was like well what do you what do you what would you think about staying in gainesville when we put you on scholarship and (laughs) i there's nothing really you can you can't really say no after that um (laughs) i was obviously really excited um going to tell my parents obviously they were proud i was i was very happy i was proud of myself something i will always be thankful for So what is the, the day-to-day in terms of in, in practice, what role do you serve? Like in, in what ways are you impacting the team when it comes to being on the practice field and, and whatnot? Right. That's funny you ask that because I feel like throughout my time here, I've done a lot of different things. Hmm. Um, if you look at my freshman year, I played scout team corner, hmm. cornerback. Oh, wow. Um, okay. When I was a freshman. Um I also played a little bit of quarterback my freshman year. And then my sophomore year, I played scout team quarterback. My junior year, I played scout team quarterback, um, which I enjoy playing scout. It's fun. Uh, You get to go out there and run the other team's plays. You get to try to make some throws that you wouldn't necessarily make if it was a game day or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, So you get to have fun there. And then as far as this year, I played a little bit of scout team quarterback um, earlier in the year. Um, when Jack was down, Jack Miller was down. I was even taking reps with the twos on the offensive field, um, running with the second team there. Um, I've spent days signaling. I've spent days at scout team quarterback. I'm, wow. I'm, I've pretty much done it all. Yeah. Here, so yeah, you've got like your your bingo cards been filled in a lot. You got a lot of a lot of oh, punches yeah. on the card. You got everything. Um, when it comes to to scout team quarterback, who have been some of the toughest guys? you have attempted to uh, to emulate on the field? This is something funny that I actually, every time it's brought up, I, th- I think I talk about it. My first ever week, my freshman year, uh, playing scout team quarterback, I was Joe Burrow uh, against, <laughs> for LSU and their undefeated wow. national championship team. Yeah. And actually, quite honestly, I think that might have been one of my best weeks playing scout we we lit up the defense uh, all down all up and down the field that week. So that was a fun week. Um, I was Joe Burrow that week. I'm trying to think of somebody who's like really good at running, like Jaden Daniels from LSU was yeah. difficult because I don't I'm not the best uh, runner of the football. I wouldn't say <laughs> I, I I really enjoy sitting back there and throwing the football around. Yeah, um, but running is not my strongest um, suit. Now I can get out and I can get loose a little bit, but. I'm not uh, Anthony Richardson when it comes to uh, running the football. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, so senior day is coming up this weekend, and it's going to be a chance for you to run out of the tunnel, meet your family on the field, be part of that. 
what does that mean to you when you think about that and, and emotionally what that will feel like as the culmination of this really lifelong journey that, that you've been on and fulfilled? Uh, I think, I don't think it's really hit me yet, but I think when I run out and my parents are there, um, my mom's definitely probably going to be tearing up. Um, I think a lot of memories are going to flash, flash in front of me as I run out there. Um, everything from growing up, like I said earlier, watching Gator games, watching Tim Tebow, watching all these guys win national championships to my first game here to shoot the little practice, the practices, the, the fun times in the locker room we have with the, with my teammates. I think that's what I'm really going to remember. Um, obviously we're going to remember wins and losses and making this throw or doing this, doing that. But I think hanging out with my teammates is um, definitely going to be the main thing I remember. And probably the, some of them cherish for the longest. Final question for you. What, what's next for you? And you mentioned the, the construction management, but I, I think, I think about that, I think the ad where it says, you know, 98% of athletes will go pro in something other than sports. Uh, how set is your plan for what's next and, and what does that look like? Um, I, w- I would say my plan's pretty set, but not set at all, if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> I, I have a direction in which I want to go. Um, I want to get out and obviously work in the construction industry. Um, not sure where yet. Um, I would love to go live somewhere else besides South Florida and then eventually move back to South Florida. I don't want to go home right away. I don't think mm-hmm. uh, maybe Texas or the Carolinas or something like that. Go work for a big company and then go back home and hopefully start my own or start something up with my dad and grand plan is uh, eventually work for myself. Well, it sounds like you are well on your way. Congratulations on coming to the end of this journey. Thank you for the work that you and, and all the walk-ons do to, to support this program. And we wish you a lot of luck. I appreciate you. Thanks, Al. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales. Gator Tales.